Please be seated. We are honored today, I am honored today, to have as a special guest with us Dr. Dan Nelson and his wife, Jan. Dr. Nelson is a professor at Point Loma Nazarene University. Uh, more importantly to me, he has been my friend across a number of years. And as I have shared with him in some challenging times of my own, uh, Dr. Nelson has been a tremendous example of what the grace of God can do. And you're going to hear some of his story this morning as he shares. But let's pray and invite the Spirit of the Lord to be with us as we share together. In these moments, gracious one, we invite your Spirit to sit with us in this place, to open our ears that we might hear from your Spirit to open our hearts that what we might hear would be applied to our lives. Bless this man, your servant Dan, and may the words that he speaks to us this morning truly be your words for your people on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. You join me now in greeting Dr. Dan Nelson and Jan. Thank you, and thank you for letting me be with you this morning. Before we get started, we've been here since 7 o'clock this morning. We spoke in the first service. So in between the two services, we've sat here in the church and listen to this glorious choir rehearse. And I've been to church through your music today. So thank you for leading worship even when you didn't know you were leading worship. Thank you. I will not be offended if you, if your eyes are averted to the pictures on either side of me. They're much more interesting than I am. And we, I've asked my wife Jan to reread the Acts scripture this morning. And I have pictures to go with it. Jan? Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord. 
for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. When Mike asked me to come share my story with you, he told me that the theme of the time together would be resurrection stories. Mike's words were how God brings out of the tragedies of life and failings of our lives something more than we could imagine. One of the common threads that we have in our collective story is that we all participate in tragedies and failings. Peter was no exception. He was a man who was trusted by Jesus to be one of his closest friends. And even when push came to shove, the little girl, the little maiden, made Peter cower. And now we find him with zeal and purpose in his desire to spread the good news of Christ's kingdom. My story is similar to your story. I find my story unremarkable, but it's the only one I have. In 1997, after dealing with what I thought was a pinched nerve, I was diagnosed with Parkinson. I found it to be a nuisance more than a debilitation. But at age 44, I felt way too young to deal with such a sentence. Then in 2005, my wife decided she didn't want to be married anymore. 
a decision that rocks my very core of beliefs. Here I was, a member of the faculty at a Christian university. I led worship at a large evangelical church, and I couldn't even keep my own marriage together. Then in the summer of 2008, after experiencing loss of strength that I thought was due to Parkinson, I was given the diagnosis of Lou Gehrig's disease and given three to five years before it would kill me. Now, I've never been much of a wallower. I don't relate to pictures of hippos wallowing in the mud. I relate to cheetahs. Don't I look like a cheetah? Anyway, my lifestyle had always been one of tremendous activity. Two years after my divorce, I was privileged to lead a team of 19 students from my university to Rwanda. I did not go to Rwanda by accident. I was praying one morning that God would take the pain and the suffering that I experienced in the last few years and turn them into something usable for his kingdom. When I arrived at work that morning, there was a message from the director of an organization on campus called LoveWorks. LoveWorks is short-term mission programs where students are sent for three weeks to work in a foreign area. Jeff wanted to ask me to lead the team to Rwanda. When I asked him why, he said he needed somebody who understood pain and suffering. He used the same words that I had used that morning. Rwanda had experienced 13 years before a genocide the likes of which had not been seen in human history. In a hundred days, one million Tutsis were slaughtered by the Hutus. And the ongoing facts are being felt in terms of HIV AIDS, and countless orphans. 
the thought occurred to me, how does my pain and suffering <coughs> come close to comparing to their pain and suffering? But I accepted the challenge. While in Rwanda in 2007, the team captured a vision for an orphanage built to service the 814 orphans for which the local church found itself responsible. The local pastor, Simone Pierre, firmly believed that James' admonition to care for the widows and orphans was not a suggestion, but a command. Some in his church told him that the burden of these orphans would be the death of the church. Can you imagine this church all of a sudden being responsible for 814 orphans from Tijuana. But on the contrary, the church is flourishing and growing as a hope of, as a place of hope and reconciliation. And Simone Pierre led by example. In addition to his five children, he adopted five more and has challenged his congregation to follow suit. Orphan boys are trained to make greeting cards of parts of the banana plant. We have some with us this morning if you would like to buy some. They're $20 for a pack of 10, $50 for two packs, $90 for three packs, <laughs> and if you want to buy four packs, I'll sum to you for $120. The team has sold enough of those cards to raise the $25,000 needed to build the orphanage. This building has been used this past year as a vocational school to teach sewing, oh my head, house painting, card making and bead making. All of these skills being taught are giving the orphans the ability to be self-reliant. In 2009, Jan, my wife of one year, and I were privileged to lead a new group of 14 back 
to Rwanda to see what God had brought to fruition. We dedicated the building and spent the next two weeks laying foundation for a dozen or so classrooms. Since we were there in May of last year, there have been teams of people who have followed up and built five new classrooms on those foundations. A team from Vancouver, Washington, is going this summer to build three more classrooms and the original building they're going to transform into the best clinic in the city. I'd like to introduce Adrian, one of the students who went with us. She has her own perspective on the trip. Hi, my name is Adrienne, and um, I'm currently a junior studying athletic training at Point Loma. Um, I first want to say a huge thank you to you all. Um, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to go and spend time in Rwanda, and it couldn't have been done without many of you. I want to thank those of you personally who prayed for me, and for those of you who helped to send me financially on this trip. It was truly a life-changing experience. And the more that I experience ministry in this way, the more that I sense that God may be calling this to be a part of my life. So a huge thank you to all of you. Within the first week that we arrived in Rwanda as a team, we were taken to a genocide memorial, a school. Simone Pierre, the pastor that we were with, warned us that we all needed to be ready for what we were about to see. What I saw was bodies, but not just bodies. What I saw was a mother holding her baby, a spouse, and a spiritual person holding on to what life they could. The next couple of weeks included carrying rocks in order to build a foundation for classrooms, sitting, counting, and singing with kids. A lot of the time, I was challenged to be truly present. I remember one day in particular just sitting with a few kids and holding their hands. No words needed to be exchanged, just a simple touch. The sound of laughter as we tickled each other stood out loudly in a place where so much pain and suffering continued as these kids were left alone. The last weekend that our team was in Rwanda, we went to another genocide memorial. This time, more information was given. A history was told. That same weekend, Simone Pierre and his lovely wife, Karita, shared their story. 16 years ago today, the genocide was happening and it affected them greatly. In April of 1994, the government of Rwanda called on everyone in the Hutu majority to kill everyone in the Tutsi minority. Simone Pierre was considered a Hutu, Kritas a Tutsi. Kritas ended up trying to leave the country in order to continue to live. Kritas faced many situations that could have led to death, but every time she was saved. She was held at gunpoint because she was unwilling to kill her own child until she was saved by someone paying money for her to live. A couple years later, while at the market getting groceries, 
Prefus turned a corner, and there she saw the man which had held her at gunpoint. To this day, she'll tell you that this man is her friend. Whenever she visits her mother in her village, she will first stop by and visit her friend, this man, who she has forgiven and loves deeply. This trip for me continues to challenge me daily. It continues to be a process of healing, but God is doing amazing things. This trip was bookmarked by death, but there was so much life in between. We were at a school where death occurred, and here we were building a foundation for classrooms, for learning and life to begin. I have learned through this trip from Simona Caritas, as well as from Dan and Jan, that it is what we do with the life that we live that matters the most. The resurrection story is a story of listening to God's voice, of turning over emotions like pain and suffering to the one that can make something beautiful out of anything. As Peter discovered, as he gave himself to a cause larger than himself. Those who traveled to Rwanda with me have discovered new life in new relationships, in global perspective, and a new understanding of God's call in our lives. Folks, my story is no different than your story. God wants to transform your tragedy into redemption. May you this Sunday morning experience God's love and God's forgiveness in your journey. And may you find something bigger than yourself to give yourself to so that God's name will be glorified. Amen. <laughs>